The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win. This is Let's Talk About It with Janelle King. By now, I think we all have heard Governor DeSantis in Florida's response to blocking the um, AP African American Studies curriculum that was trying to be pushed through. But if you haven't heard it, here's the core reason why he blocked it. This course on Black history, what are one? What's one of the lessons about queer theory? Now, who would say that an important part of Black history is queer theory? That is somebody pushing an agenda on our kids. Here's what I thought to myself. I didn't understand the correlation between Black history and queer theory. I mean, I have no idea. I mean, maybe someone needs to tell me, but I don't see the correlation. So why would you try to Trojan horse this uh, theory this into a curriculum that is supposed to be about something that's completely different. Why did you feel the need to do that? That is the part that I think gets people really emotionally upset and connected to this story and to this, this whole idea of queer theory. But what is it? I didn't know. I didn't have enough information to say that I could actually go and explain what queer theory was. So I did a lot of research into it. And I just want to share some of that with you and um, and then just give you my take. So uh, the definition, or I guess you should say, where did, did, did queer theory come from? What I found is that it emerged in the late 20th century. It examines the social and cultural constructs of gender, sexuality, and identity. It questions and challenges the traditional binary categories of male and female and heterosexual and homosexual. It explores the ways in which social norms and power structures shape and influence these categories. That's their definition, right? Or I should say it's part of their definition because I found a lot of different definitions, but that was the one that kind of stood out to me the most. But then I saw something that said that it aims to understand and deconstruct the ways in which gender and sexuality are socially constructed. Okay, the word construct and deconstruct has been, oh my goodness, so overused, but we'll talk about that in another podcast. Anyway, you're probably going to hear that word a lot because it's built into a lot of their definitions and stuff. So just brace yourself. But it also says that it's it aims to challenge dominant cultural narratives and norms that marginalize and exclude individuals based on their sexual orientation or gender identity. So basically, they're trying to cause us who have grown up in the world, some been here longer than others, <laughs> um, and it's just trying to challenge the idea of a traditional relationship or traditional um, interaction or just traditional science is what I would call it. Just the whole idea of gender. They want to deconstruct that. So who's behind this? And where, where did this come from? Like, where did it really come from? Well, 
it says that queer theory doesn't have like a single founder or originator, but it emerged out of a series of intellectual and political movements, including the feminist theory, gay and lesbian studies, and post-structuralism. So, but but who are or who 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 are these people that are pretty much guiding and leading this whole discussion? Well, I found a cue. A, a, a cue. <laughs> I found a few. Out of the few that I found, um, it's quite interesting. So one person that I found, and they call themselves queer theorists, is Judith Butler. So she's known for her book called Gender Trouble, um, where she, they say that her work has pretty much been foundational in challenging the binary construct of gender and the idea of sex and gender or in the idea of sex and that gender is our natural or fixed categories. So she basically is challenging the idea that gender is a natural thing. Apparently they don't think that it's something that happens at birth. But then there's a couple of other people like Eve Sedgwick, Michael Foucault, Lee Elderman, and then Jack Habersam. These are some people who did it, but there's a host of scholars is what they call themselves and academias and academics, academia, people who are really pushing this whole idea of queer theory. But how do you become a queer theorist? Because when I was growing up, I've never heard of a queer theorist. I didn't know what this was. So I had to find out, how do you become one? Well, it says that you have to get a degree. Most queer theorists hold a doctorate degree. You have to familiarize yourself with the field of study by reading and studies and foundational work in the area of queer theory. Um, You have to conduct your own research sometimes or conduct original research. This may involve developing your own research questions and hypotheses, conducting interviews and surveys, analyzing data and presenting your findings in academic publications and presentations. Okay. Engage in academic community. So part of becoming a queer theorist is that you have to be engaged with the academic community and then pursue teaching and mentoring opportunities. So if you want to be a queer theorist, I'm like, is it, do you have to pursue teaching and mentoring opportunities or is it just strongly encouraged? Either way, why? Because we're trying to get into our schools, obviously, but that's just my take. Okay. So I'm going to say allegedly, but I think we all can say that that's what it is. So what is the goal of of queer theorists and the idea of queer theory? And as I stated, their ultimate goal is to challenge traditional assumptions is what they call it, not traditional norms, not what, what has always been, what we know it is, but these are now assumptions. So apparently gender is now uh, an assumption. Okay. <laughs> now, but what are the goal of these queer theorists? Like what is their thing? Well, the goal of queer theorists is to, like I said, deconstruct binaries is what they call it. They seek to dismantle binaries that divide people into strict categories such as male and female, heterosexual and homosexual. Apparently, those are extremely strict categories that we've placed people in. Not that they've been born into, but that we've placed them in. They want to challenge heteronormity, critique power structures, and promote social justice. 
Now, the critiquing of power structures that they 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 consider it to be um, power structures that that marginalize LGBTQ plus people. Okay. Now, when I read all over this, I read read through all of this. I saw a word that just stood out to me and I wanted to just do a little bit of a deeper dive into that. And that's heteronormity. And I'm like, well, what is, what is heteronormity? Well, apparently here's the word assumption again. It's the societal, it's a societal assumption that heterosexuality is the norm or default sexual orientation and that the other forms of sexuality or gender identity are abnormal or deviant. (laughs) So heterosexual normity, I'm sorry, heteronormity assumes that everyone is or should be heterosexual and that the gender identity is binary and corresponds with one's biological sex. I can't believe that I'm reading this and I'm reading it in the context of it being wrong. So we're telling people that their gender identity doesn't have anything to do with their biological sex. Hmm. They say that the critics of heteronormity, I guess that would be us or some some of us who are listening, argue that it reinforces oppressive power structures and that and that limits individual expression and identity and perpetuates discrimination and inequality. So in other words, if you happen to be someone who believes in what they call heteronormity and believes that you are born the sex that you were born as, then somehow you are now perpetuating discrimination and inequality and you're playing a role into limiting individuals from expressing themselves and their identity. Wow. It's quite interesting. So then I had to ask myself, you know, when did like, so, so now that we know that this all kind of came about recently, I've always thought to myself that, you know, there, there has to be something to what's happening, right? Um, there's always been the debate around whether or not you're born gay or not. And um, I'm not going to get into that on this podcast because I don't want to go down another rabbit trail. But I will say this, that if if you are, if, if there is a, um, a proof that individuals are born gay, you would think it would be found in data. But it seems as though as I done my research and we're going to go a little bit into it, it seems as though the percentage of people who identify as LGBTQ plus is changing. It's, it's, it's growing. It's not consistent. And I feel like I want to know what's causing more people to be born (laughs) non-binary or or so to speak. I'm just really trying to figure this out. So I did a little bit more research and I looked at the national percentage of LGBTQ people in the 90s. Well, obviously there was a lot that took place in the 80s. So, you know, it's hard to find exact data, but they do have some data that they just utilize as a baseline. 
And it was estimated that about 3.5% of U.S. adults identified as LGBTQ plus in 1990. But in 2021, because obviously, um, you know, we're in 2023 now, but 2022 data is not quite out yet. And I wanted to use something that I knew was like really concrete. So we're going to go with 2021. So in 2021, they said that there's an estimate that around 5 to 10% of the U.S. population identifies as LGBTQ+. And then according to a Gallup poll, 5.6% of U.S. adults identifies LGBT with higher rates among younger age groups. The poll found that around that that found that 86.7% of adults identify as heterosexual or straight. So Okay, so that means that majority, almost 90% of people identify as heterosexual. I don't think that's because there was a marketing tool that was telling people that you're, you know, you have to fit into this box. These are by choice. This is a decision that was made. But we have to ask ourselves, why is this topic being so pressed? And how do we get here? And I, I thought about our Gen Zers. And so our Gen Zers are our young people who um, are between the, they were born between the years of 1990 and 2010. Um, that's, that's a whole other group of people, right? Um, and I don't want to sound like how I felt my generation was being critiqued. I don't want to sound like I'm critiquing them, but I do think it's important to note how percentages have shifted, particularly in this generation. So a study was conducted by the Trevor Project in 2021 that found that among LGBTQ plus students or youth, I should say, in the United States, which are ages 13 to 24, one in four identified as non-binary and one in three identified as pansexual or bisexual. Maybe I'll do a podcast on pansexual because I am a little confused about that one too. Anyway, another study by J. Walter Thompson, uh, Intelligence in 2019 found that 56% of Gen Z respondents in the United States knew someone who went by gender neutral pronouns and 68% believed that gender was a, was a spectrum rather than binary. So 68% of Gen Zers believe that gender was a spectrum, um, is, is on a spectrum and that it's not just male or female. But to put that in perspective, I saw a study that showed, that found, I should say, found that among adults in the United States, 20% of millennials, which are people born between 1980s and the mid 1990s, identified as LGBTQ plus compared to just 12% of Gen Xers and only 7% of baby boomers. So we went from 7% to 12% to 20% to now 68% of people who believe that that gender was a spectrum. I was on, was on, it's on a spectrum and it's not binary, which I think is so interesting, (laughs) but that's where we are. So, even though we see this this drastic change, we're wondering what caused it, and it has to be some of the that has to be what's being taught in our education system. So, 
I, I decided to, to ask myself some additional questions, right? Because I really wanted to know how we got here. Another way of putting it is what do we need? Like, why, why do they feel the need to challenge what's being normal? If 86, almost 90% of people identify as heterosexual, I'm trying to understand why is it that we have to challenge this? What was the problem? I don't understand it. Well, there's an assumption that if you don't agree with them, that it will lead to discrimination, marginalization, and oppression of individuals whose gender identities identities do not conform to what they call traditional so so um, sorry to what they call traditional societal norms. So basically, they feel like if we don't force you to see it our way and to agree, then that means that I now have to make you do it or make you see it because I'm somehow protecting people that we didn't even know existed. I mean, to be clear, I don't think anyone would know if anyone's non-binary if they didn't tell you, right? Your idea of how you see gender is how you see gender. If I look at you, I'm going to either see a male or a female. I mean, and if, I, if, if I'm a doctor, I need to know if you're male or female. So there's not, it's not like I'm going to look at you and say, oh, they must be non-binary, so I'm going to discriminate against them. In most cases, you wouldn't even know. So I don't understand why that's such a big deal. But is it being taught in our schools? I mean, we obviously saw and we started with the, the press conference with, with Governor DeSantis. So we obviously know that they're, they're trying to sneak it into curriculum. But is it being taught right now? Well, yes, <laughs> it is being taught in some academic institutions, particularly in departments of gender studies, women's studies, LGBTQ studies and cultural studies. Okay, got it. So it's being taught in college for sure. So we know that's happening. But is it being taught in elementary schools? Because that's one of the bigger issues too. So when I when I when I researched whether or not it's being taught in elementary schools, I found that queer theory, according to them, is a complex and advanced academic field that is typically taught in college on a graduate level. But, and they said it's not typically taught in elementary schools as the material at their own mission may not be age appropriate or developmentally appropriate for young children. So there are people who too, do believe that. However, there are some schools, they said, who may incorporate age appropriate discussions and activities related to gender and sexuality. I'm trying to figure out what's age appropriate conversations or discussions that um, center around gender and sexuality. To me, it's not age appropriate to tell a child, or it's not appropriate at all, in my opinion, to tell anyone that you um, are not seeing what you're seeing and that even though you're biologically a boy, you're actually a woman. That to me is not teaching accurate information for one. But I certainly don't want to see that with our elementary school students. They went on to say that some of the examples of how they try to incorporate this type of teaching and this curriculum into schools, um, is, is particularly elementary schools, is by different types of methods. There are some that we've already heard of, which is obviously um, 
They may include it in books that feature LGBTQ characters or families. But anyway, we won't go there. But they also incorporate these lessons on bullying prevention. So like some of the books that, you know, are um, talking about why you shouldn't bully are also talking about LGBTQ uh, plus people and 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 they're a part of their queer theory uh, mission and promoting respect for differences is what they say is that they try to promote the respect for differences but as children that respect is innate I mean I don't know if I have ever walked into a kindergarten class and saw all the black children playing with each other, all the white kids playing with each other over here. I mean, if you go into an elementary school, it's like the most, they got it figured out. Okay. It's not, it's not, it's not divided. There's just certain conversations that's not happening because they're too young to have been impacted by the world's um, input as of yet. So they're just being normal. So, I don't understand why we feel the need to have to make this a thing. And if they meet someone, if a small child meets someone who happens to be a part of the LGBTQ community, I I will very much so say, I'm very much so think that the, the child is not going to care. I don't think small children understand sexuality at all. That it, if they do, it's really inappropriate. And I'm, I feel really sad about that because I don't think at an elementary school level that you should be talking about anything related to sexuality. I think that's the biggest issue. No one's anti allowing people to be who they are. No one is anti teaching accurate history. We just don't want you introducing ideas or in their words, constructs (laughs) to our, our children without our permission. We want to introduce that conversation the way we would like to introduce it. And we don't want to be forced to have to do it. So I had some questions centered around where are, is, are queer theorists on certain topics like reproduction, topics like population control? So I did a little bit of research and some queer theorists when it comes to reproduction have critiqued traditional reproductive norms is what they call it and practices that are based on binary uh, notions of gender and here's that word again, heteronormity. (laughs) For example, some of them argue that the emphasis on biological reproduction and the nuclear family reinforces oppressive gender roles and excludes non-traditional family structures such as queer families, single parent families, and chose or chosen families. First of all, let's go here. Trying to lump gender studies or whatever it is that they're teaching and, and into the conversation around being a single parent or being an adoptive parent to me, it's just another Trojan horse, right? Um, the idea of trying to break down or get rid of the idea of the nuclear family is just bizarre to me. It, it, there is there is no reproduction without the nuclear family. No matter how you want it to look, it doesn't happen. There's it's just anyway. We'll get we'll, I will close out on my my thoughts, but I want to just give you some information. And then I will do my best to close out my thoughts. But anyway, let's not go down that trail. Okay. So queer theory also challenges the idea that gender and sexuality are solely and primarily determined by biological factors. 
I don't even understand how you can challenge that idea, but that's what's happening. So then I wanted to, I wanted to look at what our queer theorists saying about population control, because I know that's a topic that's been, we've been talking about for a very, very long time. Well, some queer theorists argue that population control policies that prioritize fertility reproduction, I'm sorry, fertility reduction and family planning reinforce traditional gender roles and ignore the complex ways in which gender, sexuality, and reproduction intersect. (sighs) Okay. Okay. So in other words, they would like the idea of of the population control argument to take in consideration or the population control policies, which we have a whole conversation about that, right? Because I'm like, what are population control policies? So I, I feel another rabbit trail coming on. I feel another rabbit trail coming on. Anyway, they feel like that these policies should take into to account the diverse needs and experiences of individuals and communities, including the LGBTQ individuals and communities. Okay. Now... We have to go on that other rabbit trail. I just, I got to find out what that means. (laughs) Like, what are these policies? But anyway, so what do queer theorists think about people who oppose the idea of queer theory? What do they think about me? Because I oppose the idea of queer theory. I just, I do. I, anyway, I'll get into that. But what do they think about those who oppose queer theory? The concept of this? Well, generally... They would argue that the opposition of queer theory is rooted in, again, heteronormity, normativity, <laughs> homophobia, and transphobia, which I always thought was bizarre too, because the word phobia means fear, fear or terrorize. And I don't think anyone's afraid of people who are part of the LGBTQ community. I don't think that's it at all. I just think that there are people who prefer not to associate with individuals who are not heterosexual. That's their choice. I have friends who are homosexual and that's their decision too. But I don't think I can say that definitively that I know someone who's afraid of people who are part of the LGBTQ community or trans people. Not saying they don't exist, but I just I just don't know for myself. So I'm like, so, so now I'm thinking, okay, where, when it comes to people who are opposing it, obviously it has to be more than just, oh, you're afraid of us, right? I mean, you got to give me more. So I found that there are some queer theorists that would argue that those who oppose queer theory are often invested in maintaining traditional notions of gender and sexuality based on binary, heteronormative, that word again, assumptions. This then they said this opposition is often motivated by fear or the difference. And I don't even know. Let me finish. Let me start this over. It says this opposition (laughs) is often motivated by fear of difference. I'm like, okay, now we're afraid of being different and a desire to maintain social political power. Okay, so now they're saying that the reason why we're opposing the idea of queer theory is because we're just completely afraid of differences altogether and that we just want to maintain our social and political power. I mean, I don't... Okay, anyway. 
let me tell you, let me tell you why I oppose the idea of queer theory. Because it's not because I'm afraid of differences. I love differences. It's not because I have any type of fear or I'm afraid of anybody in the LGBTQ community. I have friends who are part of the community. And it's not because I think that this is the hill that I can die on in order to have political power. I mean, it's, I mean, the competition is pretty stiff, right? Like, I mean, it's almost 90% of people are heterosexual. And of that percentage, I'm sure there's a lot who believe that males are males and females are females. So I don't really understand the whole idea of trying to maintain political power by standing, you know, taking a stance on this issue. I mean, I just think we all just know what is and what isn't, right? So, but because heterosexuality isn't a construct, it's natural. It's by design. I mean, that's why I oppose a queer theory because it's trying to teach people not to see reality. I mean, it's, it's giving people this notion that they can somehow truly not be who they are. And that's a really scary thing. The fact of the matter is men will never have, will never menstruate. Men will never give birth. Trans women are not women. They are men who transitioned into looking like a woman, but ultimately you are still a biological male. And by telling me that a biological male can somehow transform into a biological woman, it's just not true. And unfortunately, I feel like I have to say this, but this is not like my perspective. It's how it is. It's how it is. And while I have compassion, I have so much compassion for those who are struggling with their gender. I personally cannot imagine feeling trapped in my body or feeling like I don't belong in this body. I don't know what that feels like. So I'm not saying I don't have compassion for people who are who, who genuinely struggle with this. But that doesn't mean you change what is biologically permanent. You can't just change it. You can't decide that we're no longer going to accept the fact that there are two genders. We can't deny it. We can't wake up one day and say that we're now going to just completely dispel the myth of DNA and, 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 and genetics. I mean, it's just, you can't do it. I absolutely believe in free will. I believe that anybody who wants to identify as anything, they can, right? Because that is your choice. I believe in God and God made it very clear that we all have free will to make our own decisions. And that everyone has the right to do whatever it is they want. But as I stated before, you cannot change what is what is. As much as it may hurt, as much as it may be challenging, you can't. And and indoctrinating our, our children at a young age only leads to confusion. So I implore all of those who are in support of queer theory to just understand one thing. Please do not get upset because there are people like me who refuse to see the mirage rather than the reality. The truth of the matter is that reality is that science is science and biology is biology and we were designed for a purpose. And a lot of our purpose is rooted in reproduction. And you can't reproduce without a male and a female. It's just not possible. You can't do it. And I think we need to teach it correctly. And as people become adults, 
They make their own decisions. They can do whatever they feel. That is your choice. But stop trying to change the hearts and minds of people through these undercover exploits that we are pretending doesn't exist. Well, not we, but some are pretending doesn't exist. Let's not do that. All right. I talked about it. Then you go talk about it. Thank you for listening. Listen each week at thepodcastpark.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen and subscribe. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win. Marketing is everywhere. From the billboards on the highways to the notifications on your phone, we are constantly bombarded with people trying to sell us stuff. What makes good marketing? Are you doing enough in your life personally and professionally to market yourself? You have questions, and the Marketing Mad Men have answers. Search the Marketing Mad Men on Google or your favorite podcast provider to get practical marketing advice from expert guests who are shaping and reshaping the business world. They say marketing is a madman's game. Join the Marketing Mad Men every Saturday at 4 p.m. to find out why. A lifetime of hard work. Children laughing in the kitchen. Family photos on a restaurant wall. A legacy that lives on. It all comes from the power of a conversation, like the one Tommy Hall had with First Horizon Bank about taking over his father's Charleston-based restaurant business. Now the table is set for a whole new generation. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Tommy. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC.